Thank you so much, choir. That was exceptional. Well, good morning. Good to see you all this Sunday morning. I was in college in one of my sociology classes, and the professor divided us up into a number of small groups, and um, she asked us if we would discuss one question, one of the big questions, one of the, the primary questions. I should have walked the other way, huh, Joanne? Uh, one question, and, and that was, um, is, do you think humankind is basically good or basically evil? Yes. It's more of a rhetorical question in this moment. So think about that. Think about that. So if you were in that small group, how would have you answered that question, right? So uh, we divided in groups, and there were about four or five of us, and it was interesting that the small group um, was divided as the class was. Some talked about, we said, we think human beings are basically good, and they talked about the virtues of humankind, those moments of, of kindness, and justice, and a, and a history of goodness. They talked about uh, love, and arts, and all of those things, right? The beauty there made some good, solid points. And yet there's another part of the class, my small group, that didn't talk about virtues, but more focused on vices, and brokenness, and the history of of violence and injustice and cruelty, noting some key moments in history, said, no, I, we, can't, we can't say that, God, that, that people are basically good. Isn't that interesting, the, the, the difference of opinion. I wonder what all of you, I'm not gonna ask you, I wonder what all of you would think. And of course, I like to do this oftentimes, is I like to wonder if Jesus were in my sociology class. If he was in my little small group, then I, of course, would not have said a thing. I would have just said, Jesus, you go, go, go ahead. But what do you think Jesus would have said? How do you think he would have responded? I think he gives a little interesting indication which might surprise us a little bit. There was a moment in his ministry when uh, a rich young ruler was gonna uh, come up and, he, and he's got this burning question, what must I do to uh, inher inherit eternal life, the kingdom of God? And, and he, sa he addresses him, he says, good teacher. And before he could get to his question, Jesus says, oh, Hold on. And Jesus says this, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. That seems rather a glass half empty kind of perspective, doesn't it? Interesting that, that, that Jesus would, would say that, would, would, would weigh in in that way. And then they go on and, and they get, that's all he says. Then the, then the rich young ruler moves on and, and he goes past that. And I thought, why would Jesus say that? Jesus, who talked so much about the love of God, the kindness of God, all of those, all of those things, it calls out so much goodness from us. Why would Jesus say, there is no one good but God alone? I think for sure Jesus believed not only in God the Father, but that God was good and he made us in his image. And if God is good and he made us in his image, doesn't it seem like Jesus would answer that in a different way? But I think it really does depend on how you handle the question actually. So I think in one sense, you could, you could answer both ways. In one sense, you could say, yeah, we, we've been made in the image of a good God and we are good. But in another way, I think Jesus makes this statement to the teacher for you and I because he not only understands the goodness of God and that we've been made in the image of God, but he also understands another crucial thing. 
And this thing, his life, his calling, the cross is connected to it. Is he understands the all-encompassing power of sin that is at work in our lives. And I also believe that Jesus knows that sin is like an infection that can take root and if it's left unchecked and unaddressed, it will take over and it will kill us. I think it was because of that Jesus said, hey, wait, there was no one good but God alone. This morning we're going to look at a passage by the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to give you a little bit of advance warning that um, this is not a particular positive passage of Scripture. And therefore the message... (laughs) You're not going to be walking out like, Pastor, I'm so encouraged. Woohoo! Woohoo! That was the most uplifting message I've ever heard. We're not really actually going for that this morning. <laughs> All right? Because the Apostle Paul is telling a story. He's giving this, you could call it a a theological treatise. He has talked about this incredible gospel that he wants to, that is the revelation of God. He is opening up the revelation of who God is, who we are, and the world. And he's telling this grand story of Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and salvation through cross and faith, all of that he's telling this story but this week this section of scripture that we're going to look at he's got to weigh in on this you could call it human predicament this place that humankind finds ourselves and it's not a nice place Some of you remember from last week, Pastor Timothy Keller, the quote, he said, we're far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. Or another way, you are far worse than you think. You don't think you're bad? Just just wait, wait, wait for these passages of scripture. But also far more loved than you feel you are. You see those two parts? This message this morning is going to focus on only half of that sentence. Not the good half. (laughs) I would really love to focus on the good half. But the Apostle Paul doesn't. And so he's really going to lay out this argument for this human predicament that we all share. This is not for uh, pointing fingers or elbowing others, especially spouses, as we read these lists of sin, right? Spouses, this is an elbow-free service. My wife is just walking in. This is an (laughs) elbow-free. All right? I want to encourage you as we open up to Romans chapter 1, would you please do that with me? And as you open up to Romans 1, I want to encourage you in two ways. I want to encourage you, don't resist the revelation and the truth that we're about to hear. Don't get defensive. Don't get some of you read uh, this before you came and you're like, oh goodness, all right. I'll just say, no, 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 open your heart to all of God's revelation. Here's why, and this is super important. If we diminish the power of sin, then we diminish the power of the gospel. Can I say that again? If we diminish the power of sin, if, if we diminish the depths of our soul sickness, then ultimately we will diminish the power of his cross and resurrection and salvation. So don't listen defensively. Don't, don't kind of distance, well, okay, I'll just put up with this one week and then hopefully we can get to some other good weeks, right? 
No, no, no. Take it in. Allow it. And here's my second encouragement to you is would you humbly personalize Paul's words? Paul is, is going to speak in generalities and he's speaking in the grand sweep and so he's going to kind of communicate like those people, right? He's talking about the human race. So if you're a human being, you're included in those people, right? You are one of those people. So as, as you read these particularly challenging verses of scripture, don't process it. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. I've got a coworker who does that. Yes! No, uh-uh. Elbow free, right? Personalize it. Because, friends, if you don't personalize your own fallen nature, you'll never be able to personalize the gospel. And that's eternal life. Okay? Are we ready for the fun? Yes. All right. We're Romans chapter one, starting at verse 18 as we walk through this book together. And Paul says, verse 18, the wrath of God. Good start. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, remember who includes them? Are you a human being? Then you're a them, all right? Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they had claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal animal, human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. Talking about history here. But again, remember, include yourself in the them. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. For they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Do you ever struggle with shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Do you ever struggle with greed. They are filled full of envy and murder. Again, when you read murder, it's whether you've been filled with that murderous sense, not whether you've committed murder. You've ever been filled with the anger. That's the seeds of murder. Strife, deceit. You ever been deceitful? 
and malice. They are gossips. Have you ever gossiped? Said sarcastically. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Have you ever struggled with pride or arrogance? They invent ways of doing evil and disobey their parents. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Sarcastically, someone said, no, never. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Have you ever acted in an unloving way to someone without mercy? Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. We're going to stop right there because that's all we can take. Put on a happy face. Come on. Cheer up. All right. Look at your neighbor and ask, are you okay? Are you okay? All right. Now, what is happening here in these verses, in these texts, is what Paul is, he's looking back at the history, our story, your story, and my story as people. And he's looking back and looking at the history, and he's showing us that we started Knowing God. We started knowing that we have a creator who has designed us for a life. And yet we have compromised. As a race, just as we do today, so it was in our history. And he's showing this downward spiral of the soul sickness, the sickness of the soul, that, it, that God allowed this spiral to start to take place. And it has a beginning place. This downward spiral of sin and depravity has a beginning place. And you know what that beginning place is? Paul uses it uh, different phrases, but essentially it begins with the suppression of truth. The suppression of truth. Um, or another way he says it is we exchanged, we suppressed the truth or we exchanged the truth with a lie. I like how the message put, puts Romans 1.18, the first verse, it says this, but God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? That we, we cover truth. It's an amazing way. In, it's in our history. It's our story. And then today, human beings have this uncanny ability to deny, to twist, or simply blow off truth. Amen? Amen. Of course, you all don't do that, but we, we can see it done, right? Interesting. I uh, try very hard not to get political uh, with you, but I think the Trump presidency has brought this idea of truth at the forefront of our discussion as a people. He's introduced now the commonly known phrase as fake news, right? And he's saying, this is not true. And what members of the press are saying back to him is, um, we can document when you're lying. This is a false, this is an accusation going back and forth. In part, I'm glad this has been brought up to the forefront of our minds. Because it reminds us that truth matters. Truth, truth, there is a truth. Yes, we have opinions of 
truth. Yes, that those the opinions and perspectives of the truth is fluid, and yet we are reminded that there are things in our lives, in our thinking, that are either true or false. And what Paul is saying is that at the beginning of our story, God revealed the truth. He revealed that he exists, that you and I have a creator, that he has plans and purposes for our lives. And not only that there is a God, but he desires to give our lives purpose and meaning. That our lives, the truth is, are meant to be, were designed by the one true living God that we would live life with him and for him. And yet our history is we've denied those truths, those spiritual truths. We have shaped or formed or covered with a shroud. Now it's important to note that Paul is not saying that our problem is ignorance of the truth. He's saying our problem as a human race is not ignorance, but denial of the truth. Amen? Amen? So there at the beginning of our story, the beginning was the truth of God, that God loves us, that he's created us. We know this is self-evident. He's saying, look at verse 20. We know this through creation that we can see in some ways it's neat. He says God's invisible. We can see God's invisible reality. We can see his eternal power and his divine nature that God is a God who is revealing himself. We can look at the sky or the heavens. We can look at the mountains or a seashell or a flower that God has placed in all of creation for all people. This idea that we can see and know and go, man, someone, something is going on in this world. There is more than what I can see at the tip of my nose. There's more to this world. Paul also hints at another argument for, for God is revealing himself both in a grand way, but also in a very personal way. Some have called it the internal witness of God. You've got the external witness of, of Pike's Peak and a flower and a bumblebee, right? And yet you've got this internal witness, right? When we, when we experience a kindness from someone, we go, yeah, that, there's something eternal about that. When, when we experience a, a, a justice or, or when we experience an injustice, we, that we know the sense of that is not right. This internal testimony that there is a God. This denying or compromising of the truth, this it, it is really, it begins this process of affecting how we think. Did you, did you note Paul's description of depravity of the, of the mind? And as we suppress the truth, as we exchange the truth, as we cover up the truth and deny the truth, it begins to affect the way we see all things. Not just how we see God, but how we see ourselves how we see life and morality and friends, men and women. And, and then there's a phrase, I tried to emphasize it as I read it. Paul says this phrase three times. Did you note it? And then God gives us over. God gives us over to our stinking thinking. God gives us over to the fleshly desires of our heart. God gives us over 
to our lusts and our greed. The message again, Romans 1 verse 24, God said in effect, I love how Eugene Peterson translates this, if that's what you want, that's what you get. I'll let you. (laughs) It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. You see, there's a subtle shift in Paul's articulation of our history. Paul moves from human guilt, the why God's wrath is being revealed, to human fate. What this all inevitably leads to, and you know what it all inevitably leads to is? death. Free cup of coffee, Logan? Yes. Separation from God. Uh, At a conference in um, Florida, Orlando this past week, so I was suffering for the gospel (laughs) at the beach, and uh, (laughs) just a little bit of beach. And uh, there was a palm tree there. And uh, did you know that um, there is something with trees, in, in fact, uh, all kinds of trees, uh, that is known as tree rot? And that you can have a tree, whether it's a maple or whatever that would be, is it can look completely healthy on the outside. The bark looks good. The trunk looks strong. uh, The branches and the leaves look healthy and all of that. And you know, on occasion, there'll be a time, not even in a strong storm or a wind, all of a sudden, the tree that looks healthy, it just poof, falls over. It's called tree rot. It's, it affects, it actually doesn't uh, affect the bark. It, it's this, it, uh, the uh, heart wood, the inside. And this rot, when it takes effect in the tree, it begins to, to eat away at all the heart wood, the internal wood. And so you can have this tree that looks great and all of a sudden on a nice, warm, non-windy day, that same tree can fall over and then you see the inside and it's rotten to its core. Rot to a tree is what sin is to human beings. That we can look good. I mean, we do look good, right? I mean, look up. You guys look good, right? But what Paul is saying What Jesus knew, what Pastor Timothy Keller is communicating is that you and I have this infection. It's part of the human race. It's not a if, it's not a do we have this rot. It's a reality, it's there. When, when, you, when you felt that angst, when we, we talked about lust, or greed, or malice, as we read that, and you felt mm, gossip, all of that. You were feeling the rot of sin within. Again, let's not diminish this, lest we diminish the power of the gospel. Do you feel it? Do you know it? Look at your neighbor and, and don't say anything. Just look at with eyes of shame. Like, mm. no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do we get to the happy part yet, Pastor Eric? We're, I'm going to try and end with a little bit of hope. Awesome. But we're not there yet. Let's dig in a little bit deeper, can we? Yeah. So, 
we're living this life of brokenness, and I, and I want us to think about this through a lens of relationship. Brokenness and relationship. And, and first and foremost, this spiral down of sin and brokenness comes out in our relationship with God. And, and really, and the spiral of the story of humankind is you were created for intimacy, but we spiral down to idolatry. You were created to live life with God and for God, to experience your creator in this beautiful life. And yet because of the suppression of the truth, because of all these things, we fall into this place of idolatry. Now, Paul spends a lot of time on this. And, and he is saying that this is really the heart of our sin. The heart of our depravity is that we were created for relationship, a personal relationship to glorify, to be known by him and to know him, to be loved by him and to love him, to live the life that this one true living God envisioned for us, why he knit us together. And yet we deny the truth, therefore we live, live lives of an iniquity rather than intimacy. We live lives of loneliness rather than love. Lives of gratification rather than glory. We live lives of depravity rather than devotion. If you still have your finger in the Bible, would you flip over to chapter 3? And he's going to conclude this long argument. And let me read you from a, a few verses from Romans 3, 9, starting at uh, verse 9. Romans 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? We're going to hit chapter 2 next week. All right? Little nuances there. Do we have any advantage? He's talking to the Jews, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike... Um, are all under the power of sin. Doesn't matter who you are, the color of your skin, your, your economic standing, your country of origin. It doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Gentile. We're all under the power of this nastiness. And then he's going to quote from the Old Testament. He says, as it is written, there is, this is from Psalm, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. God created us to seek him, to long after him, to press into this personal relationship, this intimacy with God. And we say, God, that is incredible. You've made us the apple of your eye. You've made us the center of your attention and focus. That's good. But we're really interested in these things. We don't want you. In fact, if you think about Paul's words, really are a reflection here of not only the Old Testament, but specifically the covenant, the Ten Commandments. What were the first commandments? Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Think about this. These are the, the first two things as if God is saying, listen, people, if you get these first two right, you're good. You're golden. If, if you have me at the center of your life, that, that devotion is there, I'll teach you the rest. It's the other eight commandments. Are about, I'll, I'll help you do this. I'll teach you about this. Think about the, at that moment, the book of Exodus, 
right? It's the story of the people who are enslaved in Egypt and God raises up Moses and he teaches Moses and he pulls them out. He does these miracles. He delivers them. They're gonna become their own people. He brings them to Mount Sinai and gives them the law. He reveals and he eats with the elders. He's like, I am your God and you will be my people. And then... They're like, boy, let's create a golden calf and throw a party. Boy, is that human nature? That we have idolatry that is unfortunately creeping in our hearts and souls. Idolatry is this. It's the demotion of God and the elevation of anything else. It's a definition for you, a complete devotion to anything made rather than the maker. It's a um, demotion of God and the elevation of anything else. It's true we don't do golden calves, at least most of us don't, right? But what are those things that are competing for God's place in your heart and your soul? Right? There, there's, a, there's a competition, the, the word devotion. And, and we're knit together this way. So I, I'm, knit, I'm knit together in a way that I want to be devoted to my wife. Because I love her. She's precious. And yet, there is a way that I can promote her to such a degree that I demote God and she becomes an idol to me. Right? Isn't that dangerous? Right? Now, sometimes I wish that Kendra would do that for me just a little bit of time, a little bit of the time. Right? We can ask for forgiveness and all that. So... But what's that in your heart? Is it your children? Boy, I think that's a big one in our culture, right? I mean, we're knit together in such a way that we are, I mean, anything for our children, right? Lay that down. But do you realize that we can, we can promote them to such a degree that we've just let idolatry take root? We can do that with careers. We can do that with material things, right? You guys know I, I love my 1970 VW Bug, right? I have a little statue of it that I keep that I... No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> right? Star Wars doesn't really count. It's a special category. <laughs> What's tempting for you? What's idolatrous for you? I'll just read a few things of career, of devotion to a political party, devotion to a sexuality, devotion to uh, people we love, devotion to this community of faith. That's one of my struggles. I can be devoted to this community of faith to such a degree that it becomes an idol to me. What's that in your heart and in your soul? How about you? Some have defined the heart of sin as the demotion of God and the elevation of self. That is really that second area of relationship. So we become broken in our relationship with God and that begins all these things and then we move into the broken relationship with ourselves. And we go to a place of rather than God-centered and understanding who we are by allowing God to tell us who we are and moving to a place of self-centeredness, the promotion of self, the demotion of God, 
And maybe this is the true of really the heart of all idolatry and the promotion of self. I know that none of you can relate to being self-centered, but just for your neighbors, I'll go over this there. I think this is really a picture of our culture today in the United States. It's hard to look at Facebook and and Instagram and the newspaper and news, uh, Hollywood, and there's just this continual promotion of self. And people are saying, well, that, of course, that's what you, you have to do. There's that loss. Remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about the meaning of life and we talked about Paul and when he was addressing the philosophers who, who did not have a concept of one true living God, he said this, and he, God, determined the time set for them. Again, them is human beings, us, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He said, you weren't meant to go, what are my dreams? I'm going to discover my life. What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to go, my, my, my. That is the statement of our culture. And Paul is saying, you know, it wasn't that way in the beginning. That's brokenness. That's suppression of the truth. Where's God in that my, my, my? Where's the discussion of God? What are the dreams that you have for me? What's the meaning and purpose that you've wanted to ascribe to me? I was thinking about uh, Pinocchio. We're going to skip the, the video uh, for just a second. But would you, would you think about, you know, Pinocchio and... I'm a real boy, right? And he goes to the Pleasure Island. (laughs) And what happens when he goes to Pleasure Island? Can I say this from the pulpit? He becomes a jackass. Is that okay? He becomes, look at your neighbor. No, I'm just kidding, Don. (laughs) Isn't that a biblical theme, though? He's like, you know what, Geppetto? whatever. No. I'm going to I'm going to go after the good stuff, right? I'm going to go after that. And so it's such a biblical theme there. It's what Paul is saying, right? This, there's this spiral as we live that way, as we suppress the truth, as we uh, demote God and elevate and promote ourselves, then this depravity sets in and pretty, pretty soon we look around at our lives and we've become jackasses. You told me I could say that. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> right? It does apply to everybody, but especially, no, I'm just kidding. So there's this sense, it's a broken relationship with ourselves and who we are and the life we're called to live. And then finally, broken relationship with others rather than living lives that glorify God. I love how... Paul does this, we invent ways <laughs> of doing evil. Boy, in the last 10 years, <laughs> there has been a tremendous spirit of invention. Unfortunately, it works both ways. We invent ways of doing evil. And we focus and we hurt others for one another. Um, we, we hurt others in our brokenness and pain, and then sometimes we even call it good. Now, Paul does uh, talk about homosexuality 
And I want to say a few words before I unpack this. He, he in fact, seems to have an emphasis and a focus on homosexuality. And, of course, we realize very challenging topic of today and in our culture. And I want to encourage you... um, not going to address all the nuances of homosexuality. We could preach a whole sermon series on that. But um, there is a uh, position paper that is on our website, uh, springscommunitychurch.org. And you can find that position paper. And really, as a leadership of this community of faith, we've said there's really two important words that relate to this topic and that are, uh, those two words are grace and truth. When Jesus came to the world, he came full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. And we need to approach all those issues, especially the challenging ones, with grace and truth. And it is my conviction that the church has erred in profound and sad ways because we've neglected one of these two. We've neglected the grace of God for the LGBTQ people. That we've only said words of condemnation and judgment and distance. And we've not shared this deep and abiding love of God for the same-sex attracted people. Do you know that's sin? That's sin. I'm convinced that Paul would consider homophobia. Uh, any, Any injustice he would consider as deep of sin as the sin it condemns. He would see homophobia, the, the judgment or the, the, the pain, the, the driving out, the, uh, the outcast nature, the hurtful, those last few verses that list those sins of malice, right? And gossip and all those things, that's what that is. When we neglect the love and grace of God for people, that's sin, doesn't matter who the people are. Opposite sex attracted or same sex attracted. Right? It's sin. And yet the church has also at times neglected the truth and the revelation of God, which we read in these passages. And we read throughout the testimony and revelation of Scripture from Old and New Testament, and that is that we've been made in the image of God, male and female. So it's a challenge. It's deep. I would encourage you, if this is an issue that is very, very important to your heart, you you can read a a longer paper and reflect and talk about it in your small groups. Now, let me say a few things um, in these passages. Why is Paul emphasizing homosexuality, what he's actually doing is is he's using it as an illustration to our sin and depravity. What he's doing is his, his language is echoing Genesis. And if you think back to Genesis, he would say that God created the world with a, with a synergy a life to it. If you read the creation story, he created heaven and earth, light and darkness, morning and evening, land and the seas, plants bearing seed and trees bearing fruit, creatures of the land and creatures of the sea and sky. And he created Man and woman. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. The image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. 
all of sin is a perversion of some would say God's natural way, God's natural law. And we have to recognize that for the sin that is there. Let me read those last few verses from Romans chapter 3, verse 13. Again, this is a summation. This is our conclusion. Paul says, continuing to, to quote from the Old Testament, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Who's the there? Who's the them? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace for which we were created for, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Are we okay? Yes. So let me uh, leave you with this parable. And, and I, I want to sow a little bit of hope, but I also want to invite you to prayer of confession. If you want more of God, you know what a sure way. If you want more of God in your life, if you want him to speak to you more, if you want him to, to fill you more with his presence and power and peace, if you're longing for more of his life in your life, you know what a surefire way to do? Confession. Confession. Right? Oh boy, if I come up to this bowl and pray a prayer of confession, everybody is going to know that I've got tree rot working within me. Guess what? We all know it already. What, what, are, you, what are you pretending for? That's not God's way. If you want more of God, It's this ongoing confession. The great news about Jesus is he's already forgiven you on the cross. Your confession has just kept keep, uh, catching up to where he's already got you. Forgiven and healed and renewed. Jesus gives this little parable about the kingdom of God. That's what most of his parables were about, of course. The kingdom of heaven. And he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it walk, worked all through the dough. The, the goodness of the kingdom, the grace of God, the mercy of God, it's like if you've ever taken a, a batch of dough for bread and you put yeast and you start working it in. This is what the Lord wants to do with the kingdom of heaven in your life. Whatever that area, whether it's bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or lust, whatever that is, he wants to work the goodness of the kingdom. Whatever area of your, right, your life has rot, tree rot, people rot, at work, and that's going to that's gonna grow in your life unless you allow God to knead the dough of your life and need forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and blessing into your life. And I got news for you. Boy, this is good news. Sin, super powerful. 
the kingdom of God way more powerful way more powerful in fact compared to the power of the kingdom of God sin has nothing and we get to simply confess and ask and invite and let God do his thing he wants to invite his kingdom in every area of your life let's pray So, Father, I'm going to pray on behalf of our congregation, those gathered, those not here, and just say, we want more of you, Lord. We want more of your presence, more of your power, more of your kingdom to be at work in our lives. Lord, thank you for the freedom of recognizing that we all are affected by this power of the sin. And yet he who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. God, you who are in us are greater than the sin that is at work in our lives. So can we take a moment just What is there that he would have you confess? Maybe it's simply an attitude that you brought here this morning. Maybe it's an action from this past week. I'm going to give you a few moments to just listen to the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you what's going on in your heart, but Jesus can. Would you, would you listen with the ears of your heart? Some of you have a a spirit of guilt that is upon you. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the depth of your sin. You are not here as people of guilt. You're here if you confess. You're people of freedom and release. For some of you, there's a a bitterness and unforgiveness that you've been holding on to for a very long time, maybe even years. It's time to let go. The power of the kingdom will let go, allow you to let that go. For some of us, there's a spirit of lust and sexuality that is broken. And you feel powerless against the power of sin. There is a power available to you that is far greater than the power of your lust. confess that and invite the power of God in.
For some of us, we choose idolatry every morning. For some of us, we live our lives based with someone or something else at the center of our lives, not the creator of our soul. He's saying, you got to get this right. You want to grow and thrive, you got to let go. Confess it and allow the Father to be at the center. We're going to continue in a spirit of worship and of confession. If you'd like to come to a bowl of water, In fact, I love the symbol of water. That is a symbol of cleansing and forgiveness. It's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit and the power of the kingdom of God in your life. So it's a physical symbol that relates to the spiritual truth. And if you feel so led and would like to confess and allow his cleansing over you and then also his spirit the streams of living water to flow into those places that you just confessed, you can do that. Can we stand together and worship and pray? If you'd like to remain seated, you can.